Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss the technical and people side of safety. Safety should be your primary leadership tool for discovering more about your people and culture. Your host is Dr. Mark French, also known as the Safety Dude. Mark is a credentialed, experienced, and passionate professional with experience in automotive, food, chemical, nuclear, e-commerce, and energy sectors. He is going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety based on industrial and organizational psychological theories. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in people management and how they impact our everyday workplace. Welcome to this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Mark. Again, so happy you've chosen to join me on my little excursion through safety and HR and all that people things that we do is part of our workplace. And a lot of those items sometimes get overlooked and we want to talk about those things and how we struggle together to find our path. Really what made me start the podcast, what made me do a lot of what I do is that feeling sometimes of, am I in it alone? And you're not. We're all in it together. So thanks for joining me. I'm going to go back and again, talk about heat stress. I think this time of year, hopefully, if you have a workforce who is working outside or working in an an area where there's not air conditioning, hopefully you're talking about this frequently during this time of the year. Uh, Where I live in Kentucky, we're just now starting to get past where it's been weeks and weeks and weeks of heat advisories that we've been dealing with. And it's been hot and there's still things that have to get done. Uh, Tobacco was a huge crop that's very manual. Uh, Early in my life, I helped out some family members with that in our farm. And uh, it's brutal. It's a it's a tough, tough job especially with the heat that we've been having. And again, we in the farm world, you, you don't have that luxury of saying, well, we can postpone it. When the crops are ready, the crops are ready, and you have to find your way. And so this couple of last weekend, actually, uh, this is just a small taste of it, but it really got my mind thinking of what is happening? How is all of this happening? And how does it feel? And I was, the my yard had absolutely, and again, this is a very light comparatively to what the real work is happening. But I think that if there's anything that can give you a sense of what it's like in someone else's shoes, even if it's just a glimpse, it's helpful to have that reference. It's helpful to be able to feel that way, even for a moment to where you create that empathy for the condition. And this is where I felt it is I got geared up. And my typical safety gear for doing yard work, mowing, weed eating, uh, pulling weeds. Uh, and some of it's gotten pretty thick. I mean, living in a rural area that's had a lot of rain and a lot of sun, it has uh, grown and it, it was thick. 
And I had to start off by doing a lot of manual work to bring it to where the mower would actually function. And I just rem- the heat was just oppressive. And in my mind, I thought this was going to be one of those quick jobs. You run out there, you get done as quick as you can, so you don't take as many breaks as you should, and then you go back in. And before I knew it, I was hours in and absolutely exhausted. And I sat down in a shady area and thought, well, I'm done. I don't think I'm getting back up from this. And it, and not in a bad way, just like, hey, I think I'm done, done. Like I'm whatever, whatever's mode is mode and we're leaving it the way it is. And so I did. I just got out of my gear, went and sat down. I was like, that's, that's it. We're done. And it made me think about those people who are working out there that can't stop, that they have to find a way to get that time in to accomplish, to get that work done in a certain amount of time, especially with crops. Uh, some, again, some jobs you can just say, Hey, it's too hot. We're going to work on something else. We're going to do a different position. We're going or slow down or postpone it to nighttime versus daytime. So it may be cooler. Farming is not really that way. And seeing those people working out there, seeing those employees out there bringing in their crop to do that work, they have to really think about the idea of rest, water, and shade. And it can't be like what I did. I'll just run out there and get as much done as I can and hope I get done before I'm too tired. There has to be a pacing mechanism. And that's where some of the advanced notice of the public rulemaking came in, is that there has to be some sort of supervisor role that's checking on people, that's saying, hey, it's break time. You, you Let's take the 10-minute break. No one tapped me on the shoulder in the yard, of course, because I'm just out there working. But in those situations where there needs to be an 8, 10-hour, maybe longer workday to bring in what you have grown, you have to have someone that's tapping people on the shoulder and going, hey, go get in the shade. Go get under the tree. Get some water that's available. Take that break. That is so important. And... I've occasionally, and been forward-thinking enough, occasionally when I know I have a lot of work to do outside in the heat, is I'll ask my wife or I'll ask my kids to bring me a water every, bring me a bottle every hour and a half, every two hours. Force me to take a break uh, so I don't forget if I'm going to be working for an extended period. That's the same expansion of what they're trying to do is assure that those breaks are happening to assure that people are being checked on to assure that they're going to be okay that they're looking for the signs and symptoms of heat stress when they're out working who's checking on our team when they are in extreme heat and that could be in a factory setting that's not air conditioned that's a very hot area it could be road work when you think about Uh, putting asphalt down to a new road. It's already a hot product in a very hot area. When you think about the farmers that are out manually working in the fields or in areas that may not have air conditioning or fans, having to do that work, it's dangerous. And it can sneak up on you before you know it. You just keep thinking one more thing. I can do one more. I can work a little bit longer. Oh, there's a nice breeze. I'll just stop and enjoy that for 15 seconds and I'll keep going and I'm good. And then 
it it's very much the rolling the stone up the hill that once it gets to the top and starts rolling down, it's really hard to catch it. It's really hard to stop it. And that's how heat stress will affect you is that once you get to that point where you're not drinking water, you've stopped sweating, you're getting hot, you're you're starting to get really tired. Your muscles are not working the way they should be working because of the heat, because of the fatigue, because of the energy that has been used to just sustain your body and keeping it cool so that it will keep going. It can catch up with you very, very quickly, especially in the areas where it's high heat, high humidity, little breeze, not a lot of shade around you. There's a lot of things we have to consider. And when you're out in a remote area, having a small pop-up tent or a canopy that you can get under with a shade, maybe a small battery-powered fan, making sure there is cool water to drink, and making sure we're watching over our team as they're working. So important as we look at how we protect our team in the heat. So it was something that really struck me last weekend when I was working as that small glimpse and that small reminder that allowed me to think about, wow, we need something in place to help protect our people. I've got more podcast coming up in just a moment. It's time to rehumanize the workplace. Having the means and methods to engage and empower your team is more important than ever. Fortunately, TSD Amalgamated is here for you. They focus on better understanding your organization's culture through team building, safety auditing, personal assessments, leadership training, and compliance-based systems. Their staff has the training, knowledge, and experience to help you achieve safety, compliance, and beyond. Visit tsdamalgamated.com for more information. Welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, thanks for joining me. I'm Mark, your host. And uh, so the next piece is I'm, I'm changing directions for the second half this time of the podcast. I do that frequently. This one here is ripped from the headlines. Remember when uh, Law & Order used to advertise their their show as it was ripped from the headlines. Well, this is what I feel like I'm doing for this part of it. And again, I'm reading the news. I see this one, and it, I, I, I just felt my mind melt, I think, is the, probably the best way I could see it and feel it, because it was unbelievable. And so this is a little bit, it's been, oh, it's been a month since I saw this, but just haven't had a chance to talk about it, maybe because I just, couldn't think of the right way to talk about it, but right out of the news. And this is out of Canada. And so there was an, an iron and metal uh, scrapyard and some workers, two workers in the past seven months have died at that work site. And so they're talking to the president and owner and he goes, his exact quote to the news, which is unbelievable, is basically crap happens in life. And he uses the other word, but I'm not going to say it in my podcast, but it happens and that's just life. And sometimes people it happens to some people it doesn't happen to who's to know when your time is up. He, of course, blamed human error. It's their fault. They died in my workplace. I have no responsibility. And he says, well, I've been in business for a long time and never had any issues. And all of a sudden, two people and like that makes it okay. 
well, you know, two people in 62 years, that's, that's acceptable. No, it's not. <laughs> How do you even begin to say that? And so, of course, when you look at the facts behind it, the investigation is going and going. He says he will make corrections if the government says he has to. So if the Canadian version of OSHA, their their safety world, says you have to do that, then um, you have to do that. Then he will do it. And he, he goes on and he just keeps going. And he's even the quote is, I am not God. Who am I to say whatever happens? I don't see how it could have been prevented. That's his exact quote. I genuinely don't, but I welcome an investigation and I welcome somebody coming and showing me that they can teach me something that I don't know. Listen, I'm not God. I only have the experience I've accumulated over 62 years. What? What kind of experience? And and running a mill? Definitely not in safety. There's no experience there that's going to say anything. And, and they interviewed uh, one of the family members of one of the people who had, had passed away due to their work. And they stated they didn't have any ill feeling because that company employs a lot of people. And that employment helps feed them and helps keep them properly going. And so here again, we look at people will accept and actually embrace an unsafe workplace if it means that they can feed their family. So again, Maslow's hierarchy. I talk about that a lot. You've met your food, water, shelter, physiological need. You don't care about your safety needs unless that first tier is filled, unless you feel like you have food, water, shelter consistently. Then you will worry about safety. That is your second. And so in this, they see it. They, they've accepted the fact that they're not going to get safety, but they have accepted the fact that at least it's a stable job. I will choose to work at a place and not have ill will against a place that doesn't care. That basically says that we, our safety program is based on prayer, that we don't need safety stuff we don't need safety programs. We don't need safety engineering. We don't need safety. We need prayer. We need God to take care of it. And because I'm not God and I don't choose who lives and dies, you can't blame me for if someone dies on my work site. And that seems to be, doesn't seem to be, that's, that's a harsh word. But when you look at it from the surface level, it looks as if that's acceptable because it feeds a lot of people. I think, and I feel, and I have spoken about this before, that safety should be a fundamental human right in this era. That we should not be worried about whether or not our job will kill us. That we should feel like that our job is doing a lot of things and putting a lot of things in place to avoid harm to us. And if we're not doing that, why it, it that seems very primitive it seems like something that should be that back in the hunter gatherer area where we, you had to worry about wild animals killing you as you went out to hunt for food water and shelter not modern day where 
safety is still not a, a fundamental human right. You don't have the fundamental right to go to work and expect that you might come home not injured. Unbelievable. And then to read a news story where the person blatantly speaks out and says, well, I don't know what happens. Their fault. They shouldn't have made bad choices. They shouldn't have made a mistake. I'm not responsible for any of it. I mean, I'm really, I really hope that there is a follow-up story. I know it could take a long time. We might not see the report for a year of what the findings are, but I, I'm, I am going to try to remember to keep searching and keep looking because I want to know. I want to know what the what the government finds, what the inspectors find that could be wrong with his this whole situation. The what is it that they're missing? My guess is they're missing training, they're missing programs, they're missing engineering. Because some of the from what I'm reading of the injuries, there's really just lack of communication in a very dangerous area of metal scrap where there's cranes and trucks and people and big equipment running around and to simply say, well, you know, that happens. Just throw away a life. That happens. That's okay. That's just part of the work. Not my fault. I don't know if that's just a defense mechanism, denial maybe to help cope with a loss, to help cope with the, the strain that comes with it, but it almost feels delusional when it's put that way and disappointing to think that that is the summation of someone's life. Anyway, something to think about. Hope I know just from me talking about it, it just oh, rubs me the wrong way for sure. Thanks for joining me on this episode. Really appreciate it. Hope you'll join me for more as we continue this journey through talking about health and safety. And until next time that we chat, Stay safe. listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the online conversation at www.markafrench.com. All opinions expressed on the podcast are solely attributed to the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.